Did I turn it on? I did. I did. Good. Well, glad to see you here again. Um, so this morning, we're ending up our series on entitled Burned. I don't know if you remember right, the first week Ryan talked about being hurt by the church and how we need to forgive. Uh, last week I talked about gossip. Um, and by show of hands, how many else's dinner table was a little bit quieter that week? <laughs> Yes, sir. We, we, we kept, we go to say something, we're like, oh, can we say that? Um, so yeah, it really got us watching our words and watching how we speak about other people. So we talked about gossip. Today, we're going to further that and we're going to talk about hypocrisy and judgment. Uh, so this week, by show of hands, um, how many of you heard this statement from a friend or family member? I don't go to church because... The church is full of hypocrites. Anybody ever heard that? How about, um, or maybe you've heard this one, I don't go to church because all they do is judge me. Heard that one? Well, it's not a good reason not to go to church. Not going to church because of all the out of shape, or not going to church because of, of hypocrites or judgmental people is like not going to the gym because of all the out of shape people, Right? Not a, good, not a good excuse, but it's there, right? It's nonetheless something that people outside the faith claim we look like. And I was thinking, does it hold any weight? And I came across a study from Barna. Um, they had recently done asking, are Christians more like Jesus or are they more like Pharisees? And looking at this, we all know that the Pharisees were the group of people that Jesus, that was the one group of people that Jesus really spoke out against, right? I mean, brood of vipers, <laughs> that's for some pretty strong words. Um, so, we already know that we're not supposed to act like them. I mean, they were the only people group that he spoke out against. They looked righteous, but they were far from it. They did all the right things on paper, according to the law. But Jesus mentioned that it, it wasn't the things they do necessarily, it's the things they weren't doing, the things they were neglecting. They were, they were making themselves look great, but inside, Jesus said they were full of dead men's bones. Whitewashed tombs. Um, they're one of those flattering statements that Jesus used to, to describe these Pharisees. Um, and so this, this study asked a series of questions. Um, some of them, uh, like, that would focus on the actions of Jesus, um, and then some of them, attitudes like Jesus. And then they had a second section where it talked about the self-righteous actions and self-righteous attitudes, and had people grade themselves on a scale of, of, you know, either, yes, I'm really like this, or no, I'm really not like this. I'll just read a few of these. Um, for actions like Jesus, it was, I listened to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. Um, another one, in recent years, I have influenced multiple people to consider following Christ. Um, I regularly choose to have meals with people with very different faith or morals than me. I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. And then under attitudes like Jesus, they were, I see God-given value in every person regardless of their past or present condition. I believe God is for everyone. I see God working in people's lives even when they are not following him. 
It is more important to help people know God is for them than to make sure they know they are sinners. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. And then what followed was 10 more statements that focused on that were the, the pharisaical side, right? So it's, um, I tell others that the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. No rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. I try to avoid spending time with people who are openly, have different um, viewpoints than I do. I like to point out to those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. And under self-righteous attitudes, I find it hard to be friends with people who are constantly doing the wrong things. It's not my responsibility to help people who, I don't, who don't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values, and people who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. So in doing that, as you can see, the, the, the results of that study, 51% of those that were called born-again Christians fell into the pharisaical both in attitudes and actions. 51%. Over half. And so that's something that should really wake us up as a church, is are we really modeling Christ for those in the world? Because if you look at these statistics, we're not doing such a hot job at it. Um, if you're interested in looking at that full study and seeing that, I do have this copy of, of that um, if you'd like to take a look at that. But I, it got me thinking about my own life, and, and here's a problem I have. So sometimes, I think I've got this superpower, right? I, I really don't think that it's a, it's a superpower, and we'll get into, into why this is not really a superpower here in just a second. You see, I have this ability to see other people's faults. I have trouble seeing my own sometimes. But when I look at other people, man, they're all over the place. Right? Maybe it's because I don't like to see my weaknesses. Right? It's, it's easier for me to, to point out somebody else's faults and weaknesses than it is for me to face the ones I have. Um... Anyone else have this issue? Do have, you have this superpower? I'm at church every week. I'm good at acting like a Christian. I tow the Christian line. I read my Bible. I pray. But there was a time in my own life where I was putting on a great act. Interestingly enough, the, the Greek word that our word hypocrite comes from literally means an actor. Someone who is acting behind a mask is the fullest meaning of, of, of that word that we, we get the word hypocrite from. And I can tell you from experience, I was very, very good at putting on the mask and putting on the act. Because there was a time in my life where I had a sin that I was hiding, and I thought I was good at hiding it. I 
I looked good, yet I was harboring that sin, and I was helping others to live a Christian life at the same time, completely ignoring the sin in my own life. I, I, was, I was literally living out what Jesus was talking about in Luke 6, 41 through 42, and we've got that here on the screen. It says, and, worry, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And then the next verse says, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. We see our fair share of acting in churches, don't we? We claim Christ's name and the Christian name, and then we don't show the love of Christ to the world around us. We're no, we're, we know we're supposed to share the gospel with them, but oftentimes we isolate ourselves from the very people that God has called us to reach. When people do make it into church, we give them quite a show, don't we? How many of us, and I'm talking to myself here too, are guilty of putting on a mask and acting like everything is okay? Like we don't have any issues, but on the inside we're hurting. We're good at putting on that front and not being genuine. We know exactly how to act, save, and how to look good like good Christians. And if we see someone who's new to the faith has a heart change, who does not act as Christians, we're quick to point out their shortcomings. Sometimes they're actual issues. Sometimes they're simply issues we make. Things that we think a good Christian wouldn't do. Simply not how we act in church, right? It can often make us look at that person and honestly doubt that God is doing something in them. When they are are being worked on by Christ and they've given themselves to Christ, and yet they still have some, some touches of things that they're dealing with, we judge them, don't we? Well, that must not have been a good conversion experience because they're not acting like Jesus. Forgetting that we're still struggling with stuff ourselves, right? Can often make us doubt what God's doing in their lives, but we tend to forget those, don't we? About those things that are going on in our own lives. So let's take a look at what the Word of God says about hypocrisy and judgment. Um, we're going to take a look at a pretty lengthy section of Scripture. Um, the section of Scripture that we have on the bulletin is Romans 2, 1 through 16, but I read ahead through that, and we're going to go through that whole chapter. It's just a few more verses. Um, I promise I won't, I won't belabor it too long, but I, Paul is basically preaching this sermon for me, so just that, you know, always, I, you know in, in every class that I've ever taken when they, you know, they talk about writing things, always quote your sources. Well, Paul. It's my source for the whole thing. All right, so, <laughs> so we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to kind of let Paul preach part of this message. But before I do, I want to kind of give you a background as to what's going on in this section of Scripture. You see, Romans is Paul writing to the Roman church. Um, and in the Roman church, there were some Jews that, well, in, the Jews were thinking that in order for a Gentile to come to Christ, they had to first become a Jew and then come to Christ. 
And the Jews thought they, they were better Christians because they were Jews first. But Paul is trying to remind them that that is not the case. Christ paid the price for both Jew and Gentile. There is no more separation there. And so that's where we kind of jump in there. They don't first have to become Jews, then become Christians. They become Christians. Um, So let's take a look at at chapter 2. And you'll see me using my phone because I don't have, I liked the way the NLT read. I don't have a physical NLT Bible, so I'm going to use this NLT Bible right here. So let's uh, switch over to Romans 2. I'll give you a couple seconds to get there. You're probably already there. I was telling somebody, I'm actually quicker with an actual Bible. (laughs) So Romans 2. Bear with me here, guys. All right. So here's Paul talking to the the Jewish Christians in Rome. You may think you can condemn such people, talking about the, the Gentiles, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Right out of the gate, we see that Paul's reminding them, look, you, you have no room to judge. You have, you have done the same things that these guys are doing. Just because you know the law does not make you any better than them or give you any kind of, of one-up on them. Let's continue in verse 2. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, Why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? I think we often forget when we're looking at at other people who have had issues and problems, sometimes we forget God's goodness and his kindness and his mercy towards us. When we've gone through sins, we've got shortcomings, we've got brokenness as well. You know, none of us, none of us are, are free of sin. The Bible is, later on in, in Romans, the wages of sin is death. None, all have fallen short. All of us. And we forget that sometimes and we think, and we, we forget to show that kindness and that mercy to those who are hurting. Let's pick up in verse 5. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and his wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. 
But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. I read that last verse. God does not show favoritism. And in some respects, it convicts me because sometimes I show favoritism where God does not. And in another aspect, it encourages me because I know even with my shortcomings that God doesn't show favoritism and doesn't discount me. He shed his blood for all. And when we're encountering those people that are not following after God, we need to remember that fact. We need to remember that fact that he loves them just as much as he loves us. And to to point a finger of judgment and call them less of a person is hypocritical of us. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do, not, or do, who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. We can call ourselves Christians, but unless we're doing and acting like Christians, we're not Christians. I'm going to say it again. We can know the word of God, and we could quote it verse by verse, but unless we're putting it into action, it means nothing to us. Just because we have God's word does not mean that we are going to be saved. It's our heart that matters. Where did I stop? All right. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts. Either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. That the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Now that one should step on our toes a little bit. We can, we can, we can act so Christian and we can fool a bunch of people here on earth. We can, we can put on a mask and we could look like the perfect Christian to those in church. Can't we? We can, we can look good to even Ryan. Like, Ryan could be like, they are the best Christian on the face of God's earth. But if we're hiding something, God knows it. And it will be judged. Paul's saying, you, you can't just sweep it under the rug and think it's going to be okay. We need to give it up and give it all to God and, and, and deal with that secret sin. Let's keep reading. This is, this is where we're, uh, we're in Romans overtime here. Um, so let's keep reading in uh, verse 17. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. 
You're convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. And, and I, I don't know, maybe this is just the way I read this, but I can almost hear Paul's tone in this of a, a you think you're so good? <laughs> that, 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 just that, that tone of, of, who do you think you are that you think you're better than these people? Let's continue. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God? For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge of truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but do you dishonor God by breaking it? No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme blaspheme the name of God because of you. Ouch. When when we are, are teaching this stuff, are we living it? That's, a whole, that's the whole heart of the matter of, of if we're professing to be Christians, are we living it? Does our talk match our walk? Let's keep reading 25. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, Jews who are uncircumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. This next verse, verse 28, For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. We could read that differently today. We could read that as, You are not a true Christian just because you were born into Christian family or because you call yourself a Christian. No, a true Jew or true Christian is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. I know that was a long, was a long scripture passage, but I think it's so important to, to read through that, and, and Paul did a wonderful job of preaching my message this morning, because we do sometimes look at, I think because we are Christians, we've professed Christ, and we forget that there's a whole lot to go after that. So, I want to kind of take a look at this, kind of dissect this passage just a little bit, and I think it, it begs these, these several questions. The first one I think it talks about is, are you living genuinely? Is the Monday through Saturday you the same person as the Sunday morning you? Do you act the same way in church and outside of church? Because I'll guarantee you, people outside of the church are watching you. They know you're a Christian. And they're going to watch, are they living what they preach? 
And so if our two worlds don't look like they match up to them, that instant, well, they're a hypocrite, comes into play. And so it's important for us to, to live genuinely. <clears throat> to make sure that we are living what we profess. And to make sure that we're not putting on an air that we are better than anybody else because we're not. I can't be perfect. So I shouldn't expect anybody else to be perfect. But I should show them the love of Christ. And, you know, Paul talks about how that kindness and that mercy and that grace draws people to Christ. They will know we are Christians by our love. And if we're not showing that love of Christ, if, we're not, if those two things aren't matching up, if we're saying, yeah, we're Christian, but <clears throat> yeah, these people are they're hopeless, then we're, we're not living genuinely. The second one is, are you living the word? Um, verse 13, let me look that up again here. Back up to verse 13. It says, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. You know, we were talking in, in uh, Sunday school this morning with the, the high schoolers. You'll hear me use a lot of that because <clears throat> I talk to the high schoolers a lot. And that's kind of my job here. Um, <laughs> so you'll hear me talk about that a lot. But today we were talking about how to know false teachers, we need to know the word of God. But knowing the word of God is not enough to live a Christian life. We can know the word of, and quote it scripture by scripture and have a scripture for everything that goes on in life. But unless we actually walk that out, it's meaningless. You know, I made the comment to him. I said, Satan knows the word of God. Probably more intimately and better than us because he's been twisting it for years. Knowing it in our head is not enough. We need to live it. And that's where our Christian walk meets the pavement. Is when we're willing to step out and actually love on these people that are outside the church and actually go to them rather than wait for them to come darken our door. You know, because I, I don't know about you, but I can, I can see it. We're living in a generation today, this young generation that's in middle school, high school now, most of them have never even been in a church. You know, from generations past, we could, kind of, we could kind of guess that they had some sort of biblical knowledge, they had some sort of church experience with either grandma or grandpa. Not today. So us just waiting in the building, waiting for them to come to us, isn't going to happen. We need to go to them. And that's where living out what we are called to live out is important. Because there's a lost and dying world out there, and if we're not genuine, if we're not living out what we're saying that we're supposed to be living out, there's something wrong there, and they're not going to, they're not going to come. They're not going to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ if his followers aren't 
doing what they've been told to do. If they're not following what they're preaching. But yet we, we expect people to come in and, and do X, Y, Z. So, are you living the word? And thirdly, are you dealing with hidden sin? Look, I know sometimes it's easier to just sweep things under the rug and, and try to forget what you're dealing with. Part of being real with your Christian walk is being real with the sin in your life. Take it from me, been there, got the t-shirt. You can act saved all you want to, but if you've got an area of your life that you're not, you're not giving over to Christ and you're not taking care of, and you're trying to hide, that secret sin will do two things. There's two things you can expect if you don't deal with hidden sin. Number one, you will not have a thriving relationship with God. If you're not actively letting God take your sin and take all of it, if you're harboring this what I'll call a pet sin, but acting like everything's okay, your relationship with God suffers. It's not just something that sits there. It's an active thing. It actively interferes with your relationship with Christ. When I was trying to hide that sin inside and not let anybody know it because, number one, I had a pride issue, and I didn't want to let it go. Because I knew that if everybody else knew, I wouldn't look as Christian. And number two, because I didn't want to deal with it. But let me tell you that that sin festered, and it kept just eating at me. And while I looked like a perfect Christian, Maybe not perfect. Well, I looked like a Christian on the outside. Inside, I was dead. And that kind of inauthenticity, that disconnect between what I say and how I'm living, comes out as hypocrisy. And so know that it, it's going to affect your relationship. And number two, it will come out, it will be shed in the light. Eventually, somehow, some way, it's going to be revealed. Um, verse 16 that we read talked about that. God will judge those secret sins. They're not immune because, because we've got them hidden doesn't mean God doesn't see them and God doesn't judge them. You see, we are not just Christians because we say we're Christians. True Christianity is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit of God. When we start living life with a heart to please God, who loves us unconditionally, then we will start living a real and authentic life. When we're done when we're doing that, hypocrisy and judgment are no more. You see, we, we will then be living out our Christian faith. And we will realize that we are broken too. And that we have no room to judge. 
uh, as the band comes back up, I want to offer this, this, this invitation. Maybe you are sitting here today and you say, you know what? I've been going through the motions. Maybe you've not let God have full and unrestricted access to your heart. Maybe you looked apart, but your heart is far from God. Maybe today you said, I, I've never even placed my faith with Christ. While the band plays, if you fall into one of these categories, I'm inviting you to come up to the altar here and to give that to Christ. And if you don't know Christ, I would love to introduce you to him. Are you living authentically for him? And as the band plays, if you want to come up and pray, I invite you, Ryan, if you want to be up here too in case we need an extra person to pray. Are we giving it all to Christ? Are we living out those Christian values that we say are so important? Because if we're not, we're not projecting a good image for Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, Lord God. And we thank you that you love us unconditionally. No matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to become real. To become truly yours. Lord, may we, may we drop those things, those things that act. May we drop the, the, the mask that we're wearing. And may we come to you with broken hearts and say, Lord, we need you. Father, I just pray that if during this song, Lord, if, if anybody needs to be real with you and, and to, to let go of those things that they're harboring and, and to, to live authentically and to, to rededicate their, time, their life for you, Father, that they will be moved and, Lord, that you will